0: Hi. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And we hope that you spent the Christmas season in the company of loved ones, and we are all wishing you the best of 2018. So the start of a new year always makes me kind of reflective and thinking about that whole concept of, like, you know, resolutions, um, like exercise more, quit smoking, I don't smoke, losing weight, uh, work-life balance, which led us to really discuss this month's topic about strokes, because many of those New Year's resolutions actually – um, aid in stroke prevention. And coincidentally, I recently had a young lady visiting me from Australia, and her father and I met while he was doing an exchange here in Vancouver. Um, he was a radiology tech, he still is, and his daughter was telling me that he was taking some courses as, as they are just starting to treat ischemic strokes with interventional radiology in Perth, Australia. And sadly, my mother in law's mother recently had an ischemic stroke but was not a candidate for treatment as she was outside the window. Uh, for therapy. And both of all these events made me think about the range of therapy that's available for ischemic strokes. And so we thought we would try to review some basics about strokes. And we're going to spend a bit of time around current and exciting new therapy for ischemic strokes. So it's almost good to start with stats. I love stats. No, you don't. I don't love stats. (laughs) But we are going to start talking about stats. So stroke is the leading cause of adult disability in Canada and the third leading cause of death. And every year, nearly 14,000 Canadians die from stroke. Every year in Canada, there are over 50,000 new strokes. That's like one stroke every 10 minutes. That's a lot. That is a lot. Canadians spend a total of three million dollars in hos—oh, three million dollars. Sorry, three million days like in one hospital. One probably know, three million dollars. Exactly, they spend a total of three million days in hospitals because of stroke every year. And the stroke costs the Canadian economy more than three point six billion a year in physician services, hospital costs, lost wages, and decreased productivity. Two thirds of strokes occur among people over sixty-five, and after the age of fifty-five, the risk of stroke doubles every 10 years
1: wow that's ma- a lot how many doubles are you at would then? you
0: stop it i haven't even reached the first double <laughs>
1: hmm. i'm not convinced i want to see some id
0: yeah wait. i Whatever. want to see
1: where you were born
0: yeah mm-hmm.
1: um well so though older age increases your risk of stroke there was a very interesting article in scientific american in june 2017 titled more millennials are having strokes the investigation used data from the US Department of Health and Human Services, Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality.
0: Mm-hmm. They that seems a long thing. that's a long <laughs> that name. You need long an, name. an
1: extra long business card to be <laughs> exactly. there. Exactly. They found that the West and Midwest, this is in the US, have seen especially worrisome increases among younger adults. So we're talking about me now. Large really?
0: city ish. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
1: Youngish. Large cities appear to have seen bigger increases than rural areas. Also earlier in 2017, a study published in JAMA Neurology, uh, researchers at the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention concluded that in a nine-year span from 2003 to 2012, there was a 32% spike in strokes among the 18 to 34-year-old women. And a 15% increase for men in that same age range. So there's younger people having strokes, yeah. which, it's of been... course, the potential impact is significant in the short term. Severe strokes among younger adults affect people in the peak earning years, which can impact their family and their future, future lives. Yeah. Long term, we know that more people or sorry, long term, we know that people are more prone to a second stroke, which is often stronger and potentially fatal. And if if you've got sort of 60 years of life left, you're probably going to have Have that second stroke. stroke yeah trying to figure out the reasons for the increase in numbers has been a bit difficult but the study said it's an increase in drug use obesity sedentary lifestyle hypertension and pollution obviously seems to have some impact there's no surprise there yeah it's it's always important to look at statistics and trends because it helps us target our preventative strategies and uh, some of the best treatment, treatment options. On, yeah. I'm just if, glad that it's someone else doing all those statistics. And exactly, everything. not us. Not me.
0: But it is sometimes shocking when you listen to those statistics, and I think it is a bit of a scary statistic to see that younger people are, are we're seeing increases in younger people with strokes. So there, there are some stroke factors that you cannot control, certainly gender. And despite what the JAMA um, research said, men have a slightly higher stroke risk than women. More wi- However, more women die than men from strokes because they tend to live longer than men. Of course we do.
1: Of course you do.
0: Yes. Ethnic You're origin. You're going to live forever. Of course I will. Ethnic origin. Canadians of First Nation Aboriginal people and Canadians of African, Hispanic, and South Asian descents have higher rates of high blood pressure and diabetes, which are conditions that can lead to stroke. Family history. Your risk is higher if your immediate family members had a stroke before they were 65 And certainly if you've had a prior stroke or a mini stroke like a TIA, up to a third of people who survive a TIA have another stroke within five minutes, a stroke survivor has a 20% chance of having another stroke within two years.
1: You said five minutes.
0: Did I say five another minutes? Another stroke within
1: five minutes. Maybe I'm sure I just everyone, had a TIA. I'm sure everyone's scared of every TIA patient now. Oh gosh, going, I think I've just we're a We're outside of the five minute window. Oh Lord. You were supposed to say five, five years. Five years.
0: I apologize. I had a little TIA as I was reading that.
1: So up to a third of people who survive a first stroke or TIA have another stroke within, within five, five years. years. Not, not minutes. five
0: minutes. All right. Stroke factors you can control. So high blood pressure, which accounts for 35 to 50% of stroke risk. About 20% of Canadians have high blood pressure. Uh, High blood cholesterol. So the link between high cholesterol and stroke isn't as clear as the link between high cholesterol and heart attacks, but researchers believe that the high blood cholesterol can play a part in blocking the arteries leading to the brain. Kind of makes
1: Makes sense. Makes sense.
0: Irregular heartbeat. so AFib. Those with AFib are five times more likely to have a stroke, and about 15% of stroke patients have AFib. Uh, Diabetes. Patients with diabetes are two to three times more likely to develop stroke, and about 20% of people who had a stroke are diabetic. Drug abuse. So the use of illicit drugs, uh, cocaine, crack cocaine, can cause a stroke. These drugs can cause narrowing of the blood vessel, resulting in less blood flow to the brain. And of course, cocaine also affects the heart, causing abnormal heart rhythm and rapid heart rate that can lead to the formation of blood clots. And strokes uh, caused by drug abuse are often seen in the younger population. And overweight, particularly those who have central obesity, where extra weight is carried around the hips. So men with waist circumference of 40 inches or more and women with waist circumference of 35 inches or higher are at a particular high risk of stroke. And physical inactivity, so people who exercise five or more times per week have a reduced stroke risk. Alcohol consumption, so the link to stroke is not entirely clear. However, in some studies, excessive alcohol consumption has been negatively linked to stroke. That makes me so sad. Especially, like I feel like a glass of wine right now. Right now, you want a glass of wine. That's so sad. But you could end up having a stroke. No, it only said excessive alcohol consumption. I think so. You could end up having a stroke. Stop it. (laughs) Diet. Um, Oh, I missed smoking. Smoking doubles the risk of stroke. So quitting will significantly reduce the risk within two years. Within five years, your risk will be the same as someone who never smoked. Diet, of course, eating a heart-healthy diet can reduce your risk of heart disease or stroke by 80%. Sleep apnea. People with sleep apnea are approximately um, (laughs) one to three times more at risk to have a stroke. Actually, our
1: notes say they are 1.6, approximately 1.6 to 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 2.72 times.
0: How nerdy am I? And that's not very
1: approximate. It isn't. It's very
0: specific. But it's approximately three times more at risk to have a stroke. And several studies have showed a link between people with sleep apnea who go on to have a stroke and also those who have had a stroke that show a higher incidence of sleep apnea after their stroke. So, anyway um stress and depression there's a growing body of research showing a link between stress depression and stroke so stress and depression is linked with stroke risk factors like high blood pressure smoking and being overweight holy cow yeah there's a lot of things that we can control there's a
1: lot of things we can do those heart and stroke people i guess know what they're talking they about. do so let's quickly review the two types of strokes and i think this is important because we often just group strokes together mm-hmm. um and so there's two kinds hemorrhagic and ischemic strokes hemorrhagic strokes are less common and about only about 15% of strokes are hemorrhagic but they are responsible for about 40% of all stroke deaths and i think if you've worked at a a neuro neuro/neurosurgical hospital for a long time you you see that you see you know the bleeds present yeah. differently and yes. a lot of them go to die very quickly whereas mm-hmm. the embolic strokes have the profound physical traits but it's actually pretty rare in an emergency department to see someone die of an embolic stroke.
0: Exactly. Like it, is, yeah. it is kind of rare.
1: Anyway, I digress. Uh, a hemorrhagic stroke is, is likely from a brain aneurysm burst or a weakened blood vessel that's leaking. Blood spills into or around the brain, creates swelling, pressure, and that pressure Damages causes that cells, whole positive yeah. feedback of ischemia, yeah. swelling, blah, blah, blah. And death. Death. Seizures, yeah. coma, death. Exactly. Ischemic strokes occur when a blood vessel carrying blood to the brain is blocked by a blood clot.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: it's kind of like having a heart a- an MI, heart exactly. attack, yeah. in your brain. brain attack, brain right? attack. Yeah. High blood pressure is the most important risk factor for this type of stroke. Ischemic strokes account for about eighty-seven percent of all strokes, and it can occur in two ways: embolic or thrombotic. In an embolic stroke, a blood clot or plaque fragment forms somewhere in the body, usually the heart, and travels to the brain. Once in the brain, the clot travels to a blood vessel small enough to block its passage. The clot lodges there blocking the blood vessel and causes a stroke or ischemia and everything downstream from that.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, about 15% of embolic strokes occur in people with atrial fibrillation. A thrombotic stroke is caused by a blood clot that forms inside one of the arteries supplying blood to the brain. This type of stroke is usually seen in people with high cholesterol levels atheros- atherosclerosis two types of blood clots can cause thrombotic stroke large vessel thrombosis and small vessel disease like we're really talking about the heart See, here it does <laughs> like sound exactly you know like anything it, about it? the heart just translated into to the, the brain.
0: brain yeah which is probably why they do heart and stroke foundation don't you think uh, that
1: would make sense it wouldn't would, it?
0: Didn't? <laughs> but that's that's a
1: Canadian thing in other oh, countries heart and stroke, stroke are, are together separate it's
0: st- not funny mm-hmm. hmm hmm Where was I? The two types of blood clots that can cause thrombotic strokes, I think, is where you were talking, right? Yes. Yes.
1: So the most common form occurs in the brain's larger arteries. In most cases, it is caused by long-term atherosclerosis in combination with rapid blood clot formation. High cholesterol is a common risk factor for this type of stroke. Another form of thrombotic stroke happens when blood flow is blocked to a very small arterial vessel. Little is known about the causes of this type of stroke, but it's closely linked to high blood pressure.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now you may ask how TIAs fit into this classification and the way I always had it related to me was this is angina, yeah. brain angina. Angina.
0: Oh that's a good uh, one. So
1: they fit into the ischemic classification. They're temporary blockage of blood flow to the brain it can mimic stroke-like symptoms but they appear and last less than 24 hours before disappearing. While TIAs do not generally cause permanent brain damage, they are a serious warning sign that a stroke may and most likely will happen in the future and they shouldn't be ignored. And so I think that's an important point for people who work in lesser resourced communities that may not have a neurologist. Someone comes in with a TIA, that's the time to hook them up with a neurologist, get them to that appointment because they've kind of got this window where they're at high risk for stroke but they've kind of given you the warning. Exactly. So uh, for symptoms alone are not enough, specific enough really to distinguish between an ischemic or a hemorrhagic stroke. Uh, generalized symptoms, nausea, vomiting, and headache, as well as altered LOC, may indicate increased intracranial pressure, which is typically the bleeds or yeah. the, it, the hemorrhagic strokes. Yeah. So they really do present in that headache, yeah. nausea, vomiting, combativeness kind of thing, like mm-hmm. a head injury almost. Yeah seizures are more common in hemorrhagic stroke than in ischemic stroke. And they can occur in up to 28% of hemorrhagic strokes, generally at the onset of the hemorrhage Mm -hmm. or within the first 24 hours. I guess it's all that pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And and the, the embolic or the ischemic strokes tend to present more with the one-sided weakness, weakness yeah. Um, speech issues, the and speech, like that. that kind and, of stuff,
0: which might lead us to those warning signs that we've been seeing. It might, think? yeah. So the
1: the Heart and Stroke Foundation has developed a mnemonic to help identify strokes for the general public, and in Canada, obviously we're a bilingual country, and it's so cool that they translate.
0: The words translated. Words it's the translate, word. yeah. it all
1: translates. So wonderful. Yeah. So I know in, in B C anyway, we've got this on the side of every ambulance now is uh fast. So facial droop, arm weakness, and speech disturbances and the T stands for Time to Call Nine One One. And yeah. there's been a big public push on don't mm-hmm. ignore this. In French, it's vite, which is French for fast, which is the can, the Canadian, oops, uh, which is the English one, uh, and that's for visage, incapacité, trouble de la parole, and extrême urgence. They mean the same thing.
0: Which is kind of neat, isn't it? I yeah. know. I know. I anyway. think the, the one, I actually prefer the one in French because when we talk about arm weakness, it actually could be leg weakness as well but it's a limb really and so in french it's 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 disability disability in general so it's kind of a little bit more inclusive isn't it yeah so let's maybe start talking about the treatment yeah let's talk about treatment so the gold standard for ischemic strokes in the past 20 years and we are really going to just talk about ischemic strokes because hemorrhagic uh, strokes are usually either you need um, a drill yes exactly you need to go to the operating room um And that's about it. So, but for ischemic strokes, the gold standard for ischemic strokes in the past 20 years is TPA, which again, which dissolves the clot and restores the blood flow. But this is shocking to me because I remember... (laughs) Me too. Right? Don't you remember at the beginning of this, 20 years ago, when people were talking about giving a clot buster to someone who had a stroke, people were like, what, are you crazy? You're going to cause bleeding. These people are going to die of a big hemorrhagic event. And now... It's considered the gold standard that most hospitals can give TPA who have a CT scan, who have access to a neuroradiologist. And, and the
1: neurologist is now over FaceTime on an iPad exactly. some, in some Exactly, and hospitals. you can get
0: TPA, yeah. so it's quite interesting. When administered within 4.5 hours from the symptom onset, it increases the odds of survival without clinical significant disability at three to six months. That's pretty amazing. The treatment effect is time-dependent. The odds ratio uh, for a good outcome is about 1.75 when TPA is given within three hours, 1.26 when it's given between three and four and a half hours, and then beyond that, it's kind of non-statistically significant. So certainly it's better to be giving it sooner sooner than later, but there are some things that say, you know, even later is not maybe such a bad thing. The new kind of thing that's really perhaps not so new anymore is this clot retrieval or endovascular treatment. And there's two ways of doing it. You can either go in and put TPA right into the clot itself, or frankly, you extricate, you extricate the clot by, it looks like a corkscrew. You kind of dial into the clot and then you pull it out. In 2015, Canadian researchers published their findings in the New England Journal of Medicine and they completed an international randomized control trial showing that a clot retrieval procedure known as endovascular treatment can dramatically improve patient outcomes after an acute ischemic stroke. The clinical trial was known as ESCAPE, which stands for endovascular treatment for small core and anterior circulation proximal occlusion with emphasis on minimizing CT to recanalization times. Oh my God. I know, escape was so much easier. Anyway. Don't you like uh,
1: medical studies, how they just <laughs> pick the first letter of every fifth word and exactly. make a trendy word out of it?
0: Yeah. So that we can remember it anyway. So in the test group, high-tech equipment and imaging was used to remove the clot through the patient's blood vessel, which restored blood flow. Using a procedure called a endovascular thrombectomy, they inserted a thin Tube and then guided it with x-ray imaging, and then they have this retrievable stent or stent retriever another little
1: a stent retriever retriever I'm sure it isn't forty thousand dollars <laughs> I'm
0: sure it is, but the stent retriever really is a corkscrew that's used to remove the clot so the researchers actually found seriously though they found a fifty percent reduction in the overall death rate among the patients who were treated with endovascular thrombectomy. And the study also showed an increase in positive outcomes for patients um, to about 55% from about 30%, so a a significant increase. Um, Medical teams involved in the study were conducted at about 11 sites across Canada and around another 11 around the world, which included the U.S., Britain, Ireland, and South Korea. And they were able to identify the blood clots, their location using advanced imaging, and then extricating them with the stent retriever. I'm going to keep on saying that. I think that's kind of a funky name, stent Trever. The Canadian study, which involved 316 patients, is the first to show a decline in patient mortality and one in 10 patients compared with two in 10 patients. So significant, right?
1: It was, it, yeah, and to have watched a few of these endovascular yeah. treatments um, at it's our hospital. It's quite dramatic, isn't it's it? It's very dramatic. Yeah. Suddenly, you know, that the, the some of them the tpa isn't working some of them they won't even start the tpa if if they're ready and to just watch someone's arm like they can just suddenly lift their arm up again and you're like okay that's actually cool
0: it is it's very and i'm not one who
1: gets really excited about advanced medical procedures (laughs) and stuff people some people like to watch all that but that's pretty cool yeah when you just see some person who's got one-sided weakness suddenly just go oh it's gone
0: yeah I'm able to now do this. It's like I, like a, I know. It's, it's amazing. It's like an outpatient
1: procedure now almost. <laughs> it is. Anyway, so breaking news.
0: I guess we're going to have to come clean. Aren't we are right? going to have
1: to come clean. I know. Happy New Year. It's January 1st. It's not actually. Yeah, no. We were a little slow this month. And so, but the reason we have to come clean is there, the International Stroke Conference was held in LA um, January 24th to 26th, which, which is, is like actually now.
0: Now, yeah. <laughs>
1: And in that conference, there were new guidelines released, so it's actually worth us
0: talking, pretending about that, that or yeah. not
1: pretending that it's January first. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it was published online in the Stroke Journal. The document was endorsed by the American Association of Neurological Surgeons and the Congress of Neurolog- All these people. Anyway, yeah. you can go online and see who endorsed it. The last guidelines for treating ischemic strokes were written in 2015. However, since those guidelines were published, two additional studies have suggested that some patients can benefit from mechanical thromboembolectomy, the
0: mm-hmm. same thing we just talked about, Yeah.
1: after six hours, possibly up to 24 hours following a stroke. So this is really... It's possibly going to change a lot of our referral transfer patterns. Whereas Absolutely. before we thought, well, you, you're outside of the TPA window and I guess there's nothing we can do. Exactly. Now there's maybe this drive that even within 24 hours, you can get a, a better outcome. One of these studies called Diffuse 3, I'm not going to name what it all stood for because <laughs> that's just, I know. it's one of those silly medical studies again. Exactly. It uh, was presented and published simultaneously in the New England Journal of Medicine hours before the release. It's a prospective, randomized, phase three, multi-center, controlled trial of patients with acute ischemic anterior circulation strokes due to a large artery occlusion between six and 16 hours of stroke onset. So these are big strokes. Yeah. The purpose was to assess the safety and efficacy of thrombectomy in a carefully selected patient in the extended time window. Yeah. Dr. Albers from Stanford in the U.S. was the principal investigator's One of the selection criteria is having a large clot in one of the large vessels at the base of the brain that typically cause more severe strokes. The study was actually stopped early because of the high likelihood of benefit in the endovascular group of the study. That's always
0: such a wonderful thing. It is, when when it's like,
1: well, we could go on to what we had planned, but this is so impactful to saving lives yeah. that we kind of have to stop and just publish
0: exactly because then we should start offering can, it instead of delaying it right and and obviously an stud, keep
1: studying it more but it's pretty yeah. rare to release your findings yeah. halfway through a study so the second study called Don which stands for something that doesn't matter was presented <laughs> it's quite
0: long isn't it that dawn one the dawn like, yeah. there's four
1: letters and seriously it's three lines yes, in the I word know. document it was presented at the third European Stroke Organization conference in July last year in Prague. The investigators selected patients after arriving after six hours for inclusion by using imaging and clinical stores to identify those with target mismatch. Um, a small core infarct volume, but a large area of brain at risk for ischemia, yet still potentially salvageable. That's what so, target mismatch is, right? Right. Yeah. So the new guidelines basically recommend an increased treatment window for clot removal from 6 to 24 hours based on brain imaging in select patients and expanded eligibility for TPA. So this is all totally new, as in like a day ago. Yeah. But you are, we love that we get to talk about these sorts of things. And Mm -hmm. it's not to say that on Monday you're going to change the way you do things, but I always like it when nurses kind of have an inkling of change coming. Yeah. So that when your neurologists suddenly come And say, let's not do TPA, let's go to interventional radiology. You're not the nurse standing there rolling your eyes at the resident going, "Um, we always do TPA. You you can be like, oh yeah, I've heard about this. Is this that new thing? And you can not look like a complete idiot of which many of us have over the years. Yeah, and it's
0: all about best practice and evidence-based practice. I mean, we say this all the time, and I think you and I certainly are nerds enough to say that it is important that as nurses that we are also keeping up to the current research. And then also, if you're in in a management position, then you can start to think about how do we actually... Manage these patients? How does the whole system have to work in order right. for stroke patients to get to where they need to go? And if that increases capacity at your hospital, because you're the only stroke hospital, how is that going to impact that? Because so it is to a very different, very different uh, approach. workflow to Absolutely. having
1: someone of your four patients getting TPA to now suddenly you're running to interventional but, radiology, exactly. which is out of our department for sure. And now you've got to have all these extra people yeah. out of the department yeah it, it is a it's something that impacts flow absolutely you, you don't want to be the department that goes well we just don't have anyone to do that yeah you want to it best practice it. Yeah. then
0: we want to be able to support it because that's the best thing for the patient so back to another kind of a newish thing there's a new neuroprotective drug which shows some promise in stopping strokes in its tracks so there's a new canadian developed neuroprotective drug na1 and it Feel What they've seen um, is it contains the damage done to the brain after an acute stroke. So it would certainly not be something that you would do on its own. It would be with everything else, right? So it's, a, it's part of a clinical trial that's called Frontier. The drug is being administered by paramedics to stroke patients who are within a three-hour window of symptom onset, and it's intended to stop the stroke uh, from growing. It kind of allows the brain to hold its breath. That's kind of what Dr. Michael... Tymianski, and I apologize. um, Tim Tymianski. Oh, thank you. Yansky, the Toronto neurosurgeon who developed it. So there's three test sites in Greater Toronto, Peel Region, and Vancouver were chosen because their paramedic services have established this kind of stroke bypass um, in place already. So many ambulances will bypass a closer hospital to arrive at one that offers these specialized strokes services. So the paramedics in the test sites have been equipped with these vials, and they will work with on-call physicians to identify whether a patient experiencing a stroke can receive the drug en route to the hospitals. The results have not been published as yet, but hopefully they will show some positive results. So certainly things that are happening in the stroke environment and treatment.
1: Absolutely. So finally, let's talk about covert strokes, which are different than TIAs. Covert strokes have no physical or functional signs, so unlike TIAs that do have a physical sign. There has been research looking at the link between covert stroke and dementia. Covert strokes occur five times as often as more obvious or clinically presenting strokes. Covert strokes are responsible for at least one-third of all dementia. These covert strokes weaken connections among various parts of your brain and affect executive function, a set of mental processes that just help to get things done. These include planning, organization, processing information, multitasking, problem solving, decision making, reasoning, finding your way around, all that kind of stuff.
0: I'm getting a bit worried that maybe I've had a few covert strokes. Well, I, I was going to say that, but I think the <laughs> I
1: treatment, think, though. Oh dear! In my study yes? that I'm doing right now On called me? Wine.
0: Oh yes,
1: <laughs> which stands for. <laughs>
0: We'll make something up. We'll make a a whole paragraph up that'll have a W, W I, N, and E in it, and we'll call it the
1: wine study. Exactly. Um, But I think wine will probably help. Anyway, so instead of assuming that dementia is a normal part of aging, it may be necessary to investigate whether the patient is actually having covert strokes. Mm. Uh, There's a large scale epidemiological study called (laughs) PURE. Yeah. Wow, it only actually has four words in it (laughs) Prospective, Urban, Rural, Epidemiologic. Wow. I guess you have to put study at the end of that. Yeah, yeah. It's recruiting over 154,000 individuals from around the world to examine the relationship of societal influences on human lifestyle behaviors, cardiovascular risks, and incidence of chronic non-communicable diseases. Within this study is a sub-study called Pure Mind where some of the study participants will have brain MRI to identify risk factors for covert stroke. So the sub-study, sub-study is being coordinated by Dr. Eric Smith at the University of Calgary and Dr. Martin O'Donnell at McMaster. So it'll certainly be interesting to see what they, they come, come up, up with. Yeah. And it is, uh, it, I know we have listeners from all over the world, but it is a bit of a proud Canadian thing that a lot of the the fancy stroke studies and the new treatments are... Mm-hmm. are started by our neurologists in Canada. So big big shout out out to our neurologists (laughs) and future neurologists in Canada. Exactly. Keep going.
0: So in conclusion, stroke, whether it be a first stroke, subsequent stroke, TIA or covert stroke, can be prevented by managing vascular risk factors like high blood pressure, high cholesterol and diabetes and managing unhealthy behaviors like smoking, physical inactivity and poor diet. In a report by the Canadian Stroke Best Practices in 2016, it stated that Canadians' awareness of risk factors is poor. High blood pressure is the number one modifiable risk factor. Yet, in a pool less than a quarter of in a poll, sorry, in a pool, oh my goodness, in a poll less than a third, a quarter. Okay, start
1: okay, over. Okay, let
0: me just start over. Okay. In a report by the Canadian Stroke Best Practices in 2016, it stated that Canadians' awareness of risk factors is poor. High blood pressure is the number one modifiable risk factor. Yet, in a poll, less than a quarter of Canadians know that it is a risk factor for strokes. Only one-fourth named smoking as a risk factor, one-third named poor diet, and less than a fifth noted physical inactivity as risks. So this is a great way for us in healthcare to target patient education as totally. nurses. It is imperative that there is a coordinated effort by the medical community, public health, advertisements, pre-hospital and in-hospital staff, to ensure that stroke patients have timely access to life-saving and brain-preserving interventions like TPA and clot retrieval, etc. Watch the news for NI one. And its potential to decrease the damage to brain function after a stroke. And research should really look at both stroke and dementia as as a strong link between the two. Pretty Sounds stoked
1: good. about strokes. Stoked about strokes.
0: Yeah, and the wine study. Yes, we're going to start a wine study. I am. I'll be the only person. In yeah, the I don't study. drink
1: wine. So. <laughs> All right. Um, we will see you
0: probably very
1: soon in february well
0: because that's in how many days that's only
1: in four days yes
0: we will definitely do our february one on time on february 1st exactly all right bye, bye.
1: for past episodes and to comment on this episode please visit our website at nursem.org that's n u r s e m dot o-r-g you can follow us on twitter at nursemcast and also find us on Facebook at Nursum Podcast. We look forward to your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Remember, before incorporating anything new into your work, ensure you are supported by your own scope of practice, workplace policies, and your own knowledge and comfort. The Nursum podcast is brought to you by PRN
0: Education. www.prneducation.ca